0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans of the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at LabBrooks.com, 18plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
0: Hello and welcome to the final Euro game day podcast of the tournament. From TalkSport with me, Sam Madafais, European expert, Kevin Atchard and Alex Crook. After what was a really agonising night for England at Wembley.
2: is over, with the hope that inside the next month the longest most interminable wait of all might also end in glory underneath that white Wembley arch. And England are off and running, Calvin Phillips has made it, Raheem Sterling puts it away, his first goal, at amazing
3: it's the uh, first time <laughs> England's had, a, had an opening win in the Euros, um, so it's nice. Hopefully, uh, we we'll go on all the way to the final, so it's great.
2: One shot on target. They simply didn't do themselves justice. A very disappointing performance that will be dissected at length. It's the Scots that celebrate. It's finished. England nil, Scotland nil. Go and make it happen
4: doesn't mean advancing five yards slowly and passing backwards all night.
2: Greenish now. Faced up by two. Chips it in towards the far post and it's headed in. What a star from England. A goal up inside 11 minutes and Raheem Sterling does it again. Well, it's going to be a big ovation here for Bakayo Saka. He has been superb. Played a major part in the goal. Hasn't looked at all out of place on his tournament debut as a 19 year old. And with five minutes to moment since 1966 England 2 Germany nil it is put in for four and Jordan Henderson breaks finally breaks is England duck. okay Harry Kane this is your moment it's Kane against Schmeichel to give England the lead for the first time in the semi-final he's missed it he put the rebound in there it is 2-1 to England England in a final with a chance to be crowned European champions against Italy on Sunday night and it has been saved it just isn't meant to be England despairing defeated and on penalties yet again it's Italian glory it's England
0: International football tournaments are ruthless, aren't they? 24 teams enter them with hopes and dreams of lifting the trophy and 23 go home disappointed. England, certainly one of those. I think I'd like to start off by congratulating Italy and Roberto Mancini for what was a terrific performance over the course of the, the four weeks that we've had. Um, I think any other day I'd be really happy for Italy, and I'd be like bouncing along, going, "Oh yeah, I told you that Italy were going to be great." But I don't really feel like that today. Uh, I must admit, the the penalty shootout defeat hit me hard. I know it hit everybody else hard, mainly because I thought just I just felt really, really sorry for the boys that missed. So England end up losing a European Championship final on penalties. Now look. I think we have to say they can hold their head up high and they should be proud of what they've achieved over the course of the last four weeks and longer, really, to be honest, because it's not something that started four weeks ago, but it doesn't, doesn't ease the pain. Does it, Kev? No, it doesn't. It stings and it'll sting for a long, long time. I mean,
3: it's the first final in all of our lifetimes, you know, not for everybody, but all of our lifetimes and, The way they got to the final was so impressive. The way they've carried themselves on and off the field is so impressive. And the fact that those young guys felt confident enough to step up and take a penalty under the most enormous pressure, knowing full well the scale of the abuse they would get if they missed, that takes a very special kind of person to be willing to take that on their shoulders and to have come... So close to winning the entire tournament. And there were some very, very good sides at this tournament. Some great football at this tournament. I think is a mark of how far they've come. They fell just short, but there's no shame in losing to this Italian side. There are mistakes that have been made. I'm sure we'll go through those. But overall, I feel it has to be a positive picture.
0: Yeah, I mean... Crook, you started the tournament, I think, quite sort of sceptical and you thought that maybe Gareth Southgate was a bit too nice to be able to, to guide this team through the tournament. But I think his sort of thoughtful leadership has generated a love for the England team and he sort of gave them more than just hope that they could smash through the glass ceiling. You can't be happy with losing. You, you go into sport to win, but it's right to be proud of this man, his team and his players. I agree with you. Um,
5: and I actually put a post up on, on social media yesterday and admitted that I had my doubts about Gareth Southgate. I actually apologised um, to Gareth Southgate for those doubts. My relationship hasn't always been the best with the England football team. I think they've been a difficult team to love um, down the years. And, and maybe some of the disgusting scenes that we saw outside Wembley and we've seen on social media directed at those players who missed a penalty is a reason for that. I do think there's a job culture that attaches themselves to the England football team. And sadly, that came out in all its ugly glory uh, before, during and after the game. And some of the stories that I've been told from inside the stadium absolutely turn my stomach. But in terms of Gareth Southgate, I think he's a very eloquent leader. I think he's humble. Um, I think he's shown that he has more tactical acumen than perhaps I gave him credit for. And I think he has made this team um, one to love. And I think we should... Uh, glory in the fact that england have got to a final for the first time in our lifetime and, yeah. and hopefully it will be the first of many They will learn from this experience it's often been said you learn more in defeat than you do in victory and i think that will be the case and i think they'll come back stronger for the world cup in qatar
0: so let's start with the scenes outside the stadium because um i think you're right to highlight that we started our show on itv actually with representations of what was happening outside because at the time the stadium was locked down well i think we went on air just seconds after they'd lifted the lockdown. There was a lockdown for 45 minutes inside the stadium. No one can get in or out uh, because of the situation that was happening outside. I uh, was walking around around about oh, uh, 10 o'clock. I went for a run. And it was, there were, I mean, there was a lot of people around then and there was more people than there ever would usually be in the Wembley area. And and, and there was lots of people queuing outside pubs, et cetera, et cetera. I thought, oh, oh cracky, it's 10 hours before the game. It's, just, it's a long time to be, you know, getting tanked up before the, you know, before it all kicks off. Um, and then it just sort of built slowly until there was a point actually, and I think I went into our broadcast compound around about two o'clock and I have to walk from the west side of the stadium to the east side of the stadium to, in order to do that and walk through that, that huge sort of crucible of people, which is sort of, they centre around Wembley Arena and the steps that are there. And it was it was it was loud, it was boisterous, it was you know very sort of almost a bit like a festival atmosphere, really, at that point, you know everyone was having a great time singing, dancing the The, the problem with the England support, I suppose sometimes is, is that it becomes a little bit too aggressive with the singing, you know you can have a great sing song, but it doesn 't have to be about you know. Um, the World War, for example, and killing people. I'm sure there's other things that we can sing about. But anyway, for whatever reason, that seems to be what people gravitate to. I don't know what happened outside the stadium. I've seen lots of videos, and it was really scary, really scary, because my wife was coming into the the, the stadium around that time. And I was, you know, an hour or two hours before kickoff, and I'm furiously texting her saying, where are you? Have have you got into the ground yet? Because something's going on outside. I, I just want to make sure you've got in there's people being trampled, there were fences being picked up, thrown at stewards, stewards being knocked over. I, I, I mean, I don't know whether it was because people thought, because the capacity was not 100%, they thought they could sneak their way in and, and, and see what was going on. I know there were certain areas of the ground that was more swollen than they should have been, but I mean, it was disgraceful. It, 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 it really ruined the pre-match atmosphere. If you compare... The pre-match atmosphere to, from that to the Germany game, from that to the Denmark game, and then the final. I mean, it was, it was completely different.
5: You say that, but we, we have a close mutual friend who went to the Germany game and, and he enjoyed it, but he said it was tarnished a bit by, by some of the, beha- the behaviour of some of those so-called England fans. I think this has been bubbling under. What I don't understand is the police operation and how so many ticketless fans yeah. were able to get so close to the stadium because I was in Rome, as you know, and, and the stadium there was uh, cornered off like a ring of steel. It was the same in Glasgow. Every exit to, to Hampden Park was blocked by big uh, metal barricades. Why were so many supporters allowed to get so close to the stadium? Why were they allowed to um, converge on Wembley Way for 10 hours before kickoff? There were bottles being thrown. It, it really makes me angry, and I'm despondent this morning, not because we lost a penalty shootout, not because we lost a major final, But because our fans, once again, and I'm going to say many fans, because I don't think it's a smaller minority as people would lead you to believe. Many fans, once again, have tarnished our football team and they've tarnished our country. country. Those images will be going out all around the world. They'll be on newspapers all around the world. And it's not an isolated incident. It happened in Porto during the Nations League. It happened in Amsterdam. It didn't happen in Rome because the majority of fans were expats and they were just happy to be there. You didn't have the the thug culture that attached themselves to the England football team. It probably won't happen in Qatar because it's an alcohol-free country. But the FA and the police need to do something about this. It's shameful. It is. I I couldn't agree more with that. One thing that struck me was that I've
3: been at games in Germany. That's where I cover most of my football. And I've been at Rufia Derby's between Schalke and Dortmund. And I've been even at smaller local rivalries. I did a relegation playoff once between Wolfsburg and Eintracht Braunschweig in Lower Saxony. And it struck me how many police were there. And they were prepared, and they were ready. And in the end, nothing happened. Now, that might have been because of the number of police that were there, but it, it felt prepared. It felt like there was a plan. Now, I'm not a policing expert, so you know they know far better than me how many police to put on the streets. But it struck me as an observer, there weren't enough, and they weren't deployed in the correct way. And the way that fans were able to storm into Wembley, and we know that some got in, there's no question about that. that, that you know, you, you look at the anecdotal evidence, you know, people got in without tickets. So there are questions to be answered. There's no question about that.
0: Yeah, and then and the Metropolitan Police Cook, uh, Commissioner has got to answer them because you mentioned about the ring of steel that's put around stadiums elsewhere. Let me tell you, as someone who has covered now, I don't know, seven or eight major tournaments on site, this doesn't happen, by the way. This never happens. No one is allowed. No one is allowed to get this close to a stadium in any other country that I've been to. I went to Brazil in 2014. There's a mile exclusion zone around a stadium. So unless you live in that area... You can't, they'll put a fence around it and you can't yeah. get in. You have to have a pass to get in just into that bit just to walk into the next zone. It's impossible. You know, I, and you, there's no cars. You have to walk it. You have to walk as long as it is, however far. I remember doing it. It took hours. It was about 44 degree heat and we had to walk all the way up to the stadium because cars weren't allowed. Um, then there was in, in Lviv in 2012, similar sort of thing. All the stadiums actually in that uh, Ukraine and um, uh, Poland European championships exclusion zones they close the roads they close all the build- buildings and businesses in that area so you cannot you cannot get through i wonder whether the problem here is at wembley is that the fa and the local council have ceded so much land around wembley stadium it is impossible for them to close it down because of the number of businesses restaurants hotels Etc. that are within literally steps of the stadium. It's so close. It's so built up. It's almost like a little mini city in about 500 square meters. It's ridiculous the amount of building that's gone on in this small little area of London. And as a result of that, I don't think they could have closed it down.
5: Well, that's why we won't get a major tournament based on what you've just oh, said. We'll never there. get a major what, what?
0: tournament again. It's, it's finished now. They're not going to get the World Cup in 2030. That's not going to happen. And nor should it, by the way. Anyway, I suppose we've sort of talked about that enough, so we should probably move on to the actual football itself because apart from that last final disappointment, we don't want to tinge the whole tournament with that sort of sadness of of what happened yesterday. But the game itself needs looking at
2: Commentator on TalkSport, Jim Proudfoot. Option of the ball out towards the right-hand side is Kieran Trippier. Sterling, darting around inside the penalty, it's firing for Shaw. Red red. One minute, fifty-five seconds, and it's Luke Shaw that has given England the lead. Shaw
4: roaring in at the far post, took it on, half side foot, half laces and got it sweet as a nut on the half volley, off the goal post and in at the far post. A fantastic
2: start for England. Pieza had a little nibble a little of fail. Pieza towards the to edge of the box. Oh, it's just wide. That was Italy's best moment by a street. What a
4: game we've got on our hands here. You know, it's a tactical belt between the two. It's a physical belt, It's everything you want from a major final.
3: We're in the final. we won the up. Yeah. And we can, you know, not relax a little bit, but wait for that opportunity for that killer bro to knock him out.
2: Mike Sterling inside of the air. He tried Sterling oh, goes to the ground. Referee says no penalty. Immediately waved his arms across his body and said no. Stante with a touch, stones, it's on the post to put it in. And it is 1-1, it's Bernucci with the equalising goal. England unable to deal with the set piece. And with 90 minutes gone, we still are no closer to knowing. Extra times to come.
4: I'll tell you what, where we are now, we're in Las Vegas. We're at a poker game and you've put your house, your car and all your money on the table head to head and that's where this game is poised at present it really is Phillips
2: has the last touch of the final and we will go to penalties Saka against Dollar on the left foot, it in! and it has been saved it just isn't meant to be England despairing. And on penalties, yet again. It's Italian glory. It's England.
0: So England went out on penalties in the end, and they finished runners-up in the European Championship. Look, they've done brilliantly. Um, it's the first ever uh, European Championship final for the team. It's the first time that it's been decided on penalties since 1976. Um, they took Italy, probably the best team in the tournament. I think we can all say that. Right the way to the very end, and they got in front after one minute and fifty-seven seconds. Got the fastest ever goal in a final of the European Championships and Shorberto Carlos got it. And what <laughs> a goal it was. It was brilliant. And it was a similar move actually to the one that um, almost opened the scoring against Croatia. I think when Phil Foden hit the post, were they, was it oh, were Raheem still in with it? I can't remember the whole sequence of events, but it's a left-sided throw in which opens up space. In the middle of the park, Harry Kane spreads it wide. And then all of a sudden, they go from one side of the pitch to the other side of the pitch. And that completely outfoxes the defence. And if you watch the right back, uh, Di Lorenzo, he gets completely sucked into the middle. And that leaves a space for sure. And look, you can make the overload. You can get the space at the far post. But someone's got to score it. And boy, did he score it. His first ever international goal. And it was absolutely wonderful half volley. Very accomplished
5: finish, wasn't it, from someone who isn't renowned for his uh, predatory instincts. And, that, and it, they almost unlocked them with an identical move minutes later. Again, Trippier bursting down that right hand side got the cross in. This time, Italy managed to deal with the danger. I thought at that stage that Gareth Southgate once again had got it tactically spot on with, with the, the wingbacks uh, bombing forward and exploiting the weaknesses in the Italian armoury. Harry Kane dropping deep into midfield, as we suspected he might well do. Uh, to allow the likes of uh, Raheem Sterling and and Mason Mount to bomb on. I think the only disappointment for me is that England didn't really ram home that authority in in the first Mm. half. They were the better team in the first half. If they scored a second goal, I think it would have been game over. But they didn't create any real opportunities um, to get that second goal. And then as the game wore on, uh, Italy's senior players stepped up. They used all their international experience. And we have to remember this is a very young England team. But I do see it as a bit of a missed opportunity. We'll, we'll talk about the penalties later. I do think Gareth Southgate made mistakes over the course of the evening.
3: I think we should always view what England have done uh, against the backdrop of what Italy were able to do. Because England made a great start. Alex is absolutely right. You know, they, the, the width caused Italy all kinds of problems. So it was the right formation to start with. Mm. The goal was a perfect example of that trip here to shore. So, so that worked with the wing-backs. Harry Kane caused all kinds of problems dropping deep. The issue is then, once Italy starts to really motor in midfield, and once Jorginho can start popping those passes around, I thought Verratti was Verratti. fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely sensational. That was the one. You know, getting out of those tight spaces, getting involved in challenges. Should have been booked, by the way, but you know he managed to get out of that. And he was aggressive with the ball, without the ball. And Chiesa started to fire. And so it's very difficult to not then get pushed back by what Italy are doing. Because once they control the ball in the way that they were not able to at any stage against Spain, then it's very, very difficult not to find yourself dropping
0: deep. Ha, ha, yeah, but that's exactly what happened. But how do you stop that? At, at some point, I mean, I was watching it in the stadium. Like you boys, I was, I was keeping a close eye on that midfield area because we'd highlighted it before. I was looking at the possession stats going further and further and further down, and I was thinking to myself, someone's got to get a grip here. It feels far too much like the Croatia semi final of 2018 because yep. the tide is turning. And I think I said just before half time the last words I say before half time are the hard work is still to come. And I think I said just before they scored their goal, there's a sense of danger here because you could feel it. It was coming. They'd had the ball so much. They're going to create a chance. And I think by that point, Jordan Pickford had to make a couple of big saves as well. And he did brilliantly, by the way. You know, and there's been a lot of question marks over him, but he shone, I think, over the course of the tournament. I just thought they just needed Henderson a little bit early because when Henderson came onto the pitch, he actually, he actually stopped Verratti from being out of play a little bit
5: they needed his leadership skills as well because it seems churlish when we spent the whole tournament praising the character of these young players. But there weren't enough players who were being vocal for me at that moment in time, really trying to take a grip of proceedings. And I think there were in, in the Italian ranks. And maybe that will come with experience. It's, it's their first major final. Um, hopefully there will be many more. But I think you're right. Henderson could have come on earlier. I think Grealish could have come on earlier as well because Mount wasn't really affecting the game. Um, in the second half in the same way that he managed in the first. And, and the penalties concern me um, because I'm all for having five designated penalty takers. I think that's the right thing to do. You know, go on to the days when you come onto the pitch at the end of extra time and you say, who fancies a penalty? There's much more research that goes into it now. But to bring on Rashford and Sancho cold, and basically their first kick of the game was a penalty, I thought that was wrong. I think they should have come on at half-time. to to get a feel of proceedings, to get a feel of the atmosphere and to build up a little bit of confidence. I mean, the pressure of taking a penalty in that scenario is immense anyway. And I think when you haven't really touched the ball in in extra time, I think the the pressure is just intensified. I think that was a mistake. The
3: the thinking certainly ended up being a bit muddled because you had Marcus Rashford at right back towards the end. (laughs) And, you know, this is a European Championship final. So something's gone amiss there. I'm not sure about the problem with bringing a player on cold. Look, these are, these are top-class athletes. These are guys who are used to having that tunnel vision, they're used to having that
5: focus. They've yeah. taken big penalties before. And that's you know, the job. Yeah, that is the job.
3: And, and but Rashford's
5: look, never taken a penalty like that. I mean, you compare that penalty to the one that he smashed in the top corner in Paris, you know, and the pressure in Paris was immense, ended up getting Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the job. I think his
0: thinking was muddled. Yeah, the but hold on, his hold on, hold on. thinking might have been muddled. But the decision, if you, were, if you were picking a penalty taker out of the England squad, would Marcus Rashford be on your list? The answer is yes. Yeah, yeah I'm not saying he shouldn't be, but I think he should have been on the pitch earlier. Yeah, but If you put yeah. him on the pitch earlier, well, who are you going to take off as a result of that? And then you're, you're in a situation where you're, you're in balance, which is what happened towards the end. So with 90 seconds to go, they bring on Rashford. But actually, there's nowhere for him to play. So he has to play right back. Well, Sterling didn't take a penalty,
5: did he? Well, he was substituted.
0: No, he was substituted.
5: Oh, was he off by then? Okay, fair enough. Substitute Sancho. Ultimately, they will have seen these guys in
3: training bashing penalties left, right, and center. They will know who the best penalty takers are. And ultimately, you look at the data and you think, okay, these are the guys I want. Rashford didn't miss by much. His technique was... was, It was actually a
0: great penalty, really,
3: apart from... (laughs) He didn't put it in the net. He's trying to make... He's trying to make the goalkeeper dive. Exactly. He goes the wrong way. He does that. But by doing that, you don't look at the ball. So there Mm. is an element of... Not hoping, but there's an element where you're not totally in control with that type
0: of penalty. It's a variation on the Jorginho theme. Completely. Completely. Which is to run up to the ball... To wait and then, as the goalkeeper makes his move, put it in the other side, and and that's and, and Georgina tried to do the same thing, but Pickford was very clever and made a very big save. Sam, look, you've just taken up golf, okay?
5: And uh, one of the things that your coach will have told you is when you come up to address the ball, particularly off the tee, do it the same way every time. Get that muscle memory. Yeah. Don't change your technique because if you change your technique, you're going to shank it. Into the trees on the right-hand side for Marcus Rashford to change his penalty-taking technique in a final, I, I couldn't understand it. And I-, I feel for him. Don't get me wrong, I feel for him, but I just, I just think him coming on so late was a factor. And what about Bakayo Saka? Who's never taken a penalty for
0: Arsenal? Well, it's Jack not necessarily Riles- true. He has taken a penalty, penalty in the taken. Youth Cup,
5: but he <laughs> might have been
3: laser <laughs> in the min in training. <laughs> This is the thing. He might have been absolutely hammering them in in training. And I, I, I kind of see what you mean about Rashford. But they will have looked at Donnarumma. I mean, they will have looked at all of the the ways he court. dives. How does he dive? How can we beat him? What's the best way? And Rashford will have worked on this. And he will have thought, okay, with that shuffle, with that roll, I can score that penalty. He's so close to doing it. The I, other thing is... Who would you want of all of the players, if you put all of Italy and England's players together and said, for my life, who do I want to take a penalty? Jorginho. He had it saved. Even the best players can miss a penalty. Of Even yeah, older agree. players. Look at England's history. It's littered with older players yeah. who've missed penalties. You know, Pierce, Waddle, Batty, you name it they've missed. But I, I don't su- think this is down to
0: youth. I really I, don't. I'm surprised, I'm surprised that Bakayi Saka was taking the number five penalty out of all of them. I, I did think, why hasn't Jordan taken one? Because he he's, yeah. so he took one in the shootout against Switzerland and it's he, apparently, from what I understand, he, he's fantastic at leathering the ball. So, you know, and I think if he misses, he misses the goalie or whatever and no one's going to moan too much and you know, oh, why did he take it? Okay, whatever. But, I just feel so I just feel so sorry for the kid. I really do feel sorry for the kid. He's such a lovely kid. He's so intelligent, clever. He's such a great footballer. He's gonna have a brilliant career. I know he's gonna have a brilliant career, but ah, oh, it's just it was heart, it was heart-wrenching to, to watch him to watch him go through that last night. It really was. It will be a defining
5: moment, it one that he'll never be able to escape from Gareth Southgate has has never escaped from the stigma of missing against Germany but I guess it's how you channel it because again to use Kev's uh, terminology English football is littered with a history of of missed penalties or, or misdemeanors look at Beckham After France 98, not because he missed a penalty, but because he flicked out his leg at Diego Simeone. He was public enemy number one and went on to have the best season of his career. Manchester United won the treble. He was a big part of that. So um, I like the tweet that United put out about Marcus Rashford. They say that one kick doesn't define him, but it will in lots of ways. And it's about how they respond from here. And I think all three players who missed have, have got strong enough character and they've got the perfect leader in Gareth Southgate someone who's been there and got the t-shirt and done the Pizza advert to help them come through this
0: yeah I think we're different now I don't think anyone's going to be doing that uh, this time around But uh, and hopefully everyone sort of embraces them and looks after them as Gary Neville was saying on TV last night um, Kev, should Georgina J- have been sent off yeah i think he could well have been sent off
3: Uh, i think he i I don't think it is a malicious challenge in the sense that he's trying to do jack Grealish. i don't think it's like that at all but he's out of control he he comes off the ball and the studs go right into jack Grealish's thigh for me that's a reckless challenge he's out of control i I could easily see that being a red card so i was a little surprised yeah Bjorn Kuipers, I think in general got most things right in general was good but I feel that that
5: probably should have been a red card
0: yeah I was sli- slightly surprised that they didn't even go to VAR that
5: well it's the type of tackle that has been punished by VAR yes. with red cards throughout the tournament and again you just wonder because it's a final were they officiating it differently because I think any other game in the tournament it, it, it would be a red card
0: there wasn't a- There was not one moment where the VAR, we have a monitor which tells us when the VAR is doing something or not doing something. So it comes up in a big sort of banner across the screen. So we have a computer screen, which is full of stats, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, every time the VAR is checking something, they'll mark it or whatever. And that sends a signal to our monitors. It comes up in a big white banner. Then as it gets a little bit more serious, it goes yellow. And then when there's a review properly taking place, it's bright red. We didn't have anything. There wasn't even one moment in the entire game... Where the, the the white banner came up to say that there was even a potential check. It was there was nothing at all throughout the entire game. At one stage, I was looking at the monitor. goes, is this working, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is this actually is anything happening here? I look, it's, it's not. No one's looking at anything. But fair enough. Okay. So uh, and uh, another big moment, obviously, is the, the the changes. Lots of changes for Italy. They constantly brought on different players to to try and make the English players think. Um, I thought at one stage, you know, Bernadeschi coming on, playing as the sort of force nine central player. They're Bellotti coming on, just constantly making England think about different conundrums and Insigne floating around, moving into different spaces, drawing players out of position, caused a massive issue.
3: Yeah, I thought that was the key, actually. I thought his use of substitutions was excellent because he took off Immobile, who just couldn't get into the game, as you say, moved Insigne inside behind Chiesa behind Berardi and they caused all kinds of problems with that movement they looked a much more potent threat I know we've talked about Jack Grealish all the way through up until now I think Gareth's got it right in terms of when he's brought him on as an impact sub I'd have loved to have seen him a lot earlier because I think England were really treading water at times in that second half and what you needed was somebody to get them higher up the pitch somebody to carry the ball win free kicks give them a breather and he would have been perfect for that so I would have loved to have seen him come on 65 70 minutes just to give them a different look because Roberto Mancini was constantly making adjustments to try and push the advantage when Italy had it. And you never really felt that Gareth Southgate quite did the same thing.
0: Yeah, it was a a real shame that uh, once England lost the momentum of the game, you just sort of almost felt it was inevitable what was going to happen. I think they did well to take them to penalties. In the end, you know, they got back into the game in extra time. There was a few chances in extra time as well that England crafted. And I thought, oh, hold on a second. There could be a... I mean, John Stones had a brilliant chance. Donnarumma came flying out like a lunatic at one stage. And yeah. I thought, if he yeah. gets a proper touch on that, that's it. It's over. Uh, so it's, it's small margins and, and, and situations that maybe could have been different on another day. But ultimately, you know, I think I, we're pretty convinced that Italy were the best team of the tournament. And congratulations to them. They've rebounded from what was a terrible, an absolutely terrible situation for them where they didn't even qualify for a World Cup. Italy didn't qualify for a World Cup. It was just like almost like sacrilegious uh, across that country that that didn't happen. They've rebounded by winning the European Championships and the manager's done a brilliant, brilliant job. He's carried himself really well. You know, it doesn't happen like this very often, actually, that, that, that foreign managers will do interviews uh, on the eve of a game with a, a big UK broadcaster, but they welcomed ITV. Michel Owen, who's a friend of uh, Alex and I's, um, was welcomed to the Tottenham Hotspur training Ground on Saturday, where Italy were based, and they, you know, she sat down with them. She had a great time talking to Chiellini, who's a brilliant, infectious character, and Mancini as well. So, you know, it, I think they're, they're a very good group as well. They're, I mean, it's more of a squad than it is a team, isn't it? You know, it's a, it's a proper group of players who themselves have got a united team spirit and are all fighting for a common cause.
5: I'm pleased for Mancini uh, because I kind of feel like he doesn't get the credit he deserves for what he achieved at at Manchester City. Um, And he's gone on to prove what an exceptional coach he is, as you say, to pick that nation up from their knees and to go on this incredible unbeaten run, hardly conceding a goal. And the makeup of the squad is interesting as well because there's a lot of players from unfashionable clubs um, in Italy, which hasn't always been the way. You had to play for one of the big clubs to to really get the chance to wear that Azuri blue. And I think, again, he's got that... uh, Unity and, and that spirit, which we've talked about a lot throughout the tournament. A lot of nations have had that. And um, yeah, with, with our English hats off, Italy were the better team in the tournament. They were the better team on the night, and, and full credit to them.
3: The most important thing I think about Italy is the way it's been done because there is this perception that Italy play safety first football, that they're a reactive team. And he decided he wanted to go a different way. He believed that they could play proactive. Football. They could play expansive football, they could press, they could swarm forwards, and they've absolutely done that. And I think it kind of mirrors what's happened in Serie A in general, because you still get people who don't watch a lot of Italian football, who'll think that it's quite slow paced, tactical, technical football. Serie A can be crazy sometimes nowadays you get loads of goals you get the big clubs playing really expansive football I know that Inter had a strong defensive base under Antonio Conte they were always going to but wow they can play with Lukaku with Lautaro Martinez you know they score a lot of goals and so I think Mm. that's been the most impressive thing they've not only done it they've not only won a European championship they've done it in
0: style I wouldn't be too surprised if over the next 15 years, 20 years, we see a little shift back to the centre of Europe towards where the power base is because, you know, we know how popular Italian football is around the globe because of what happened to us when we were kids. You know, we... we we. we we all watched it because it was on channel 4 for example i mean if, if someone was could strike a deal now to get that on terrestrial television in this country or you know spread the message elsewhere it's about eyeballs you know you, you fall in love with the f- football because you see it and we've seen that throughout the course of this tournament. Be interesting to see what happens with that going forward. Um, look, Overnight in, in, in Rome, in Milan, in, in Naples, other cities, there's loads of cars out, banners everywhere. Um, obviously, there's been a, a horrible situation uh, in Italy with the coronavirus pandemic. It was the, the centre of it right at the very beginning. So they've had a, a tough time too. So all of the talk that we've had about you know pent-up emotion, expressing our feelings and being close together again, I'm sure that... that
2: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at Labrooks.com, 18plus gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.
0: Well, Patrick Schick's goal uh, against Scotland was probably the goal of the tournament. I think we can all agree on that, can't we? Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> in quite some way, I think. Yeah, I think you're yeah, quite for about forty-nine meters, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, and Crookie, you did very well in catching that. By the way, it was a great. It was a great piece of commentary, and uh, I'm sure that uh, you, well, I mean, we know you're proud of it because you don't stop sending it to us. Um, but um, <laughs> but no, it was. It was brilliant. It was brilliant, and it was a brilliant goal. Um, other great moments from the tournament. What other highlights have you got, Kev? The Andreas Christensen goal for
3: Denmark against Russia because that's what really set their tournament alight. It was a fantastic hit from a player you wouldn't expect to score a goal like that in in front of so many fans in Copenhagen. And they were behind the eight ball for obvious reasons. You know, Christian Eriksen's collapse in the first game against Finland, but they lost the first two games. They needed to win against the Russia side that weren't great, but have some decent players. And they came through that test magnificently. And then what they were able to do after that was even more impressive. And Casper Hulman, the coach, did a wonderful job. He's been a guy who's been told at times that he was too nice. Uh, So there's uh, an echo of Gareth Southgate in there, too nice to succeed. Had these romantic visions of how he was going to play. And it's great that that's been a huge success. So he's done himself proud and the Danes did their nation proud.
5: Crook? Do you know what? I've just had the absolute summer of, of a lifetime. I think it's what we all needed. We've, we've
3: known. We've, we've been
0: following you, yeah. Yeah. We've seen that you've been... Uh, <laughs> From out, Italian
3: out, jails
0: to... <laughs> Out with <laughs> Sol Campbell, rested in Rome, quarantined in England, uh, out on the golf course with Jim White and uh, Chris Iwellimo, an honorary Scott, boogieing like you can't believe, eating haggis, and deep-fried Mars bars. It's been terrible for you, yeah. <laughs> have you That's, done any work? Have you done all? any work? I was going yeah, to say,
5: on, on the pitch, I feel quite privileged as well because I did have the the, the Patrick Schick goal, as you say, one of the, the the goals of the tournament. And one of the games of the tournament, the maddest 10 minutes of the tournament, arguably, um, between Spain and Croatia. Croatia scoring mm. twice late on to take that game into extra time. That was just one of those games where You fold your notepad. You don't need your preparation because the football just does the talking. It doesn't matter how many stats you've prepared for, how much you know about the players. Just let the football do the talking. So that was a a big privilege for me. I feel quite attached to the Denmark story, having commentated the game where Christian Eriksen collapsed. And that was a horrendous experience. And the way that they galvanized themselves, thankfully he's on the road to recovery. I think that will be something that we will remember forever. And the semi-final between Spain and Italy, I was making noises during that game, watching on the sofa that uh, I don't know where they came from. And equally being in Rome when Italy beat Belgium, just sitting in a, a restaurant, watching the Italian fans in the fan park, having some pizza, just seeing their unbridled joy is another memory that will stick with me. What's really
3: interesting, I think, about this tournament is we went into it talking about some individuals, Kylian Mbappe, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, world stars, guys who quite rightly are lauded. But it was the teams that were the stars, really. You look at England, I think that's definitely true, a cohesive unit that were very, very well coached. The Danes were exactly the same because they lost their star player, mm. uh, of course, and then were still able to find a way to get to the semi-finals. I thought Spain were a great collective because Luis Enrique had to really... He didn't know what his best team was. He didn't know what his best way of playing was necessarily, but he somehow managed to cobble together a team and they really felt like that towards the end and were ever so close to getting to the final with their best performance of the tournament against Italy. And then you've got the ultimate team who who won the tournament because they really felt like a unit, even when the players weren't. In that 11, it felt like they were ready to contribute when they were called upon. There weren't any diva moments. There weren't any temper tantrums. They just got the job done. And I think whether that will change how we view football, whether that will change how coaches view football, we'll see. But I thought it was a triumph of the collective over the individual.
0: Yeah, and the triumph of tactical coaching and real nous and study and and, and belief in, in in systems and and. and Patterns of play, rather than sort of rather basic sort of up and at them. You know, let's get arm round people and try and rev it up and throw on attacking players. Everything was a lot more thoughtful, and the football was a little bit more intelligent. I thought over the course of uh, of the four weeks that we've had, and I think nothing more uh, identifies that than the semi final between Italy and, and Spain, where you know, Luis Enrique plays a rather odd system, actually, in the first sort of half an hour. And he's got the ball. He can do whatever he wants with it, but he can't finish it off. And then he has to make a change. They go behind. He then has to construct a way of getting back into the game. Brilliant. And, and, and Italy, let's be honest, they used all of that collective mentality, that real strength of character to just hang on to the penalty shootout because they were the second best team in that particular match. Against Spain, you know, it's interesting. You know, Spain over the course of um, the tournament, I think they had so much possession. It was it was untrue. There was games where they had seventy percent possession against Italy. They had seventy five, I think, against um, who was it? Against uh, Sweden, I think seventy five. And at one stage, it was eighty five. But actually, over the whole match, it was seventy five. That's really frustrating for an opponent if you can't get the ball, you're just chasing shadows all the time and that ties you out completely. And you, you're, you're going to lose that game eventually nine times out of ten. But actually, Spain only won one game in the knockout stages. In fact, did they win a game in the knockout stages? No, I don't think they did. They won time. one game in the whole tournament, sorry, which was yeah. the, uh, the five-goal win Slovakia. over Slovakia. Every yeah. other game that they played, they drew in 90 minutes. Or, you know, and then that's... That, that would worry me for them going forward. That's something that they need to maybe analyse and come up with a solution for. If they get it right, by the way, then everybody's in trouble again.
3: The difficult thing for them is that the hardest part is scoring goals and it's the finishing. You know, it, it, you, can, you can take the players to those chances, but coaches can't get on the field and boot the ball into the top corner for yeah. them. And... Pedri, I thought, was magnificent. What a tournament from him. Young
5: player of the tournament. uh, Absolutely
3: absurd. Did he win young
0: player of the tournament? Because I saw that uh, Donnarumma won player of the tournament. He did win young player of the tournament. Yeah, so Pedri got young player
3: and Donnarumma won player
0: of the tournament. I I thought he was
3: magnificent. I thought Busquets made a real difference when he came on. There are definitely things to work on for Spain. I mean, it's hard to find a, a... stone-cold finisher. Morata gives you so much apart from his finishing. He's a little like Timo Werner in that way. He, He contributes so much to the collective, but sometimes does find it difficult in front of goal. We should mention, by the way, we've managed to get this far without mentioning Bonucci and Chiellini, who, against that Spanish maelstrom of passing and movement and dizzying looks, managed to hang on and managed to really dig deep. And... They were
0: magnificent. I like, I like Chiellini and I like Bonucci, but uh, I must admit, when he grabbed uh, Bakayu Saka around the neck <laughs> and dragged him to the floor, I thought, this is going a little bit too far, fellow." You know, come on, that's a bit over I, the top. My,
5: my wife was apoplectic at that. I didn't mind it, because that's what Italians do. That's, yeah, that, that's, what, uh, that's what Chiellini and
3: Bonucci I thought, made I, I their career thought, out of.
0: On. That is... That's that, that what uh,
3: pragmatists do. You know, he, yeah, he I knows... Offended. Saka's going to race away from him. Get down. Uh, I'm not having this. You you know, I'll give away the yellow card. I'll give away the free kick. And there's probably a future debate to be had about that. Uh, And I think there is at the moment a real debate about tactical fouls. Mm, What are we as a sport prepared to accept? Because we've all done it. We've all said in commentary... The Fernandinho foul. We've all said in commentary, you can understand why he's done it, taking one for the team. Mm. Maybe that paradigm needs to shift. Maybe we need to criticize that more because ultimately you're cheating, really, because you're just dragging somebody down. And being punished for it. That's Maybe the, the kind of. needs to be bigger.
0: Yeah, that's the kind of uh, foul that Stuart Pierce, the tactical foul that Stuart Pierce will go absolutely mad about. He hates that. He thinks it's lazy. He's not happy about it. He wants that to be a red card. You know, and there are players who you get really frustrated about, others who think, you know, it's part of the game. But I think that is going to be a debate going forward, I think you're absolutely right. Um, looking forward, uh, 497 days now until the uh, World Cup. Are we all excited about Qatar now? I mean, I know Gareth, someone asked Gareth about it afterwards and he's like, I can't, I can't think about that yet. And I must admit, I'm in the sort of similar sort of vein. I'm going to go and lock myself in a cupboard for about three weeks. But <laughs> um, are, we, are we thinking that um, this England team will be better for this experience or have they missed the opportunity? I think probably both, um,
5: to be honest. I think there was an opportunity um, to win the tournament, didn't quite happen for reasons that we've already discussed in this podcast, but they will learn from it. Um, They're obviously crestfallen this morning, but they can look back with pride at the way that they navigated obstacles, um, the way that they responded to going behind against Denmark. Perhaps we haven't seen that power of recovery and that strength of character from previous England teams. And I think most of the squad will still be together. Come the World Cup, and it's a unique situation, isn't it, where you play European Championship one year and then you go straight into a World Cup the next? So I, I don't see this, the makeup of the squad being that different. I don't know how good Argentina and Brazil are at this moment in time. Maybe uh, Kev can comment on that. I know Argentina um, obviously won their own tournament over the course of the weekend, so you know Messi will take confidence from that, but he's not getting any younger. I think Europe will be strong. I think, again, Italy are going to get stronger, although the two centre backs are not getting any younger. I think Spain will get stronger if they can find that finisher. So I I think they'll be right up there as well. And and, and France can't be as bad at the World Cup as they were in this tournament. So are England a contender? Yes. Can we say they're going to get to the final again? Let's see if the draw opens up as kindly as it has in the last two tournaments.
0: Oh, I think you're being harsh again. He had to get that in, didn't he? He had to get that in. He couldn't go through a whole podcast after flip-flopping around and becoming Gareth Southgate's mate for 20 minutes. He had to say (laughs) they got lucky. What's really interesting is what you've just said there, Alex, about France. They
3: couldn't be as bad as they were this time. Football, one of the reasons we love football is it's full of sliding doors moments. And if they show a little bit more steel and a little bit more care at the end of that game against Switzerland, we could have been talking about them in the final because I think if they get past that, there's every chance that they gain momentum. There's every chance that Pogba is able to continue to put his stamp on the tournament. I don't think France were that bad, but what they did was they made mistakes tactically and they let a game slip. And this is why tournaments are so great. Weird stuff happens all the time. Look at Italy's game against Austria. If that goal from Arnautovic is onside instead of offside, and it was the right decision, obviously, but they were on the ropes, at that stage, they were on the ropes, and we yeah. could have t- been talking about Italy going out in the last 16. What I like about England and what I like about what Gareth Southgate is doing is he's putting them in position to win. Now, you can play that old roller coaster that we used to do with England, and you can get Jack Grealish on there and get Foden on there and get all of those guys on there, but you're opening yourself up to having a slip up against somebody before when it really, really matters. I like the fact that they're plotting their way through games and I like the fact that they're defensively strong. As we
0: said they would do right from the very beginning because that has always been the plan and it's been something that they studied for many years now of how to do it and that's why they've decided on this approach. The only issue with the approach is is that when you play safety first football, eventually you'll come up against someone where you need to be braver on the ball. And yeah. that is what happened yesterday in the game where we got to the stage where actually we'd started brilliantly. We'd done half the job, but then we needed to do something else. There was something else that is another dimension that was required. Another starter. Need someone else to come in and just, just spark the game back into England's favor. And that was the crucial moment. And it reminded me very much of it slipping away in 2018 in Moscow at the World Cup semi-final, where it just It just went. It, You just lost the grip of it. And in those big matches, in those big moments, you do not have that five minutes, that 10-minute window where you can make up your mind. You need to gamble, take the decision, and it needs to happen. And by the way, that's not a criticism of of Gareth Southgate. That could happen to a number of different managers. It has over the course of, uh, of time. If you get a team to a final of a major tournament, you're a very good manager. And I know that Crook says, oh, the draw opened up for them. Well, I mean, Jesus Christ! You say it opened up for them. Let's go. Let's have a look. If England had finished first in the group, which they did, they played Germany in the round of 16. If they'd finished second in the group, um, they would have faced Spain in the last 16. If they'd finished third in the group, they would have faced the Netherlands. So, you say the draw opened up for them. Whatever they did to get out of the group, they were going to run into a big hitter very shortly. Now, just because their name is. Denmark doesn't mean they're not a great team. They've done a brilliant job, that team. Fantastic. The easiest game was the Ukraine game. You know, obviously, yeah. you know, that was a you know, we were a bit lucky to get a that quarter a final in. against tap Ukraine. In. But, you know, didn't France play Switzerland in the last sixteen and go out?
5: You, you,
0: Dutch
3: lost you, you to, have to
5: Czechs. You, you have to beat what's in front of you. I, I understand that. But I think in the World Cup and again here clearly England were on the better half of the draw. And you mentioned Germany. Yes, there's some good individuals, but as a, a collective, uh, Kev's talked about that a lot. They were all at sea Germany and they have been under, under Joachim Love for, for some time now. So it, it, you still have to beat them. And they laid that go- goes to rest. I don't think they'll have it as easy at the world cup as they have in this tournament. Take nothing away. It's sort a fantastic achievement. And I've, I've said Gareth Southgate has got most of the big tactical decisions Right but the draw was favorable.
3: What I hope going forward as well <laughs> is that away from the football, we've actually seen a group of young men we can be proud of uh, as a, as an England team and the work that many of those guys are doing, have done in our community, the work that Marcus Rashford's done in tackling food poverty and inequality The taking of the knee, which I know has been divisive, but the reaction to those guys missing the penalties shows why they have to do it, why they have to continue to fight against racism and discrimination. And that fight will continue. And these are very socially responsible young guys who want to use their platform, who want to spread what is a positive message. And we need that in this country. We need that positivity. We need that sense of looking after each other and i sense that these are guys who really want to use their platform positively for change and i hope that they're supported in that and i hope they continue to do that because it's going to be a hard fight it's always going to be a hard fight but those who want to separate politics from football there's often a reason they say they want to do that so i hope they don't i hope they continue to use their football uh, and their quality for something good that can help the entire country
0: well, I think uh, we can all agree that England can be proud. There have been moments uh, over the course of the last month where England has felt sort of whole again for for just a, just a little bit um, and that is down to them i mean it 's not a, a, a universal unifying force football, but certainly it 's brought families together it 's reconnected people with people they don 't know i mean i you know, i 've had so many messages, so many contacts from people and you know people i haven 't heard from for years and years and years, and people watching football that don 't watch football you know i 've got friends that, that aren 't really that interested. I work on an entertainment program in in the winter the, some of the producers that work on that show would never even batter an eyelid uh, at watching <laughs> watching a football match, but they yesterday were were excited Wednesday night last week they were excited they, they, they wanted to be a part of it and I think that's what it's about. It's about lighting the fires in people that aren't usually touched by football. It's grabbing one or two kids that maybe haven't fallen in love with the game yet. Hopefully, that's happened over the course of the last month. And hopefully, that going forward, we'll all enjoy the benefits of that in the Premier League and, you know, with players coming through and kids getting out and playing the game again as we open up society a little bit more. I think, obviously, now everything will turn and transfers will become the focus and preparation for the new season will become the focus. Crookie, you've had a week off in your in your house quarantining. You, you can get on with that now. That's fine. You just, you, you just, you, you just crack on. Um, but I, I, I've had a, a really great tournament. It's been great fun to do the job I do and I'm really lucky to be able to do it and I've enjoyed it. I know that you guys have uh, have been uh, enjoying what you've been up to as well. I know, Kev, you've been very busy and so have you, Crook. But um, I think when you work in football, you sometimes feel as if like you, you, you've got a little bit of inside knowledge or you, you've got almost a little bit of ownership of it. But actually, the game belongs to everybody. Yeah. And, and, and the key thing to remember is, is that the kid who started watching England at this tournament for the first time is just as important as the guy who's been watching it for 60 years. And... The ability to bring those people together is not a small thing. It's a massive, massive achievement. So congratulations to Gareth and to the players. Um, gents, thank you very much. It was uh, great to work with you over the course of the tournament. I'm sorry we couldn't get Trevor in today. We wanted to, but he was, uh, he's coaching. You know, these things don't stop, you know, folks. Pre-season has started. Um, and uh, so we'll see you for the new season, uh, Crookie, I'm sure. Yeah, well, looking forward to it. And do you know what this tournament has done? It's wet the are, appetite. Are you looking for... forward to it now? You you want to get back to it again, or do you want a little bit of a rest first of all? How do you feel about? No,
5: it? I'm ready because I I want to I want to to go back to Old Trafford, by club, and I want to be part of a, a full stadium. We've been promised that for when the Premier League starts. I think, <laughs> but what this tournament has proved, and we said it time and again, football is nothing without fans because yeah, all no. of the oh, uh, abiding the images, images. Yeah, from this tournament, the the scenes of jubilation inside the stadium, take away the idiots on Wembley Way, getting fans back safely into stadiums, getting that atmosphere has enhanced the game and and that will only continue when the Premier League season starts. So I can't wait. Manchester United leads our first game, is
0: it, on on, on game day? Yes, yes. I think um, it's 12.30 on Saturday, is it the 14th? Yeah, it's our first game. I'm doing that with Trevor. No, I'm doing it with Andy Townsend, I think. I think, I don't know. But anyway, look, we're going to be live at Old Trafford and there's going to be a crowd there. And it's Manchester United against Leeds. What a game to start with. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait for it. Uh, Kev, uh, thank you very much for your time. Are you bundesliga next year?
3: Uh, Yes, I will be. Lots of bundesliga ring and lots of uh, keeping an eye on European football and a bit of Premier League uh, viewing as well. But I'm going to aim to get onto a beach first. It's very bold and very ambitious, but I'm going to try.
0: It's not Good that man. ambitious or bold. Just we- go around the cookie's <laughs> house. He'll just take you to the end of the road. I'm thinking maybe a little bit further. Maybe. We'll, see. we'll can, see. Can we book Kev now for the World Cup?
5: Because I think you've been absolutely fantastic on this podcast. Your, your, your encyclopedic knowledge of European football has blown me away at times. And I'm sure it has anyone who's downloaded the pod as well.
3: That bribe worked very well.
0: That that worked really well, (laughs) friend. Hold on. You know know something is wrong and that the country has changed when Alex Crook is dishing out compliments.
3: (laughs) Well, I, I accept it humbly. Thank you very much. No, it's been great fun been great fun. Enjoy the
0: rest of your summer and we'll see you for the game day podcast when the season resumes and of course that season will be completely covered on TalkSport. We did just say that our first game of the season is uh, Manchester United against Leeds on the Saturday the 14th. That's our first Premier League game. Believe me there's more football before then. In fact I think there's a cup tie that Crookie's doing in around about 17 days time. Is that right? 18 days time? Yeah. July the 31st yeah Yeah. there there you go Uh, and we've got um, the Community Shield as well on TalkSport too Uh, so be safe uh, be careful Uh, remember it's been a great month even if it hurts right now there's some pride in those Lions